Welcome to the Nonprofit Lab, a podcast dedicated to the ongoing discovery of how we can all be a part of bigger social change through the lens of the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Puya Porak. I'm an industrial engineer, a first-generation American, and CEO of MatchNice, a social impact tech startup with a mission to connect the nonprofit ecosystem and maximize social impact. And right now, we're working to launch a new kind of impact-centric fundraising platform that empowers nonprofits and donors to tie online donations directly to social impact. Join us on our startup journey as we look to uncover and shake up the status quo in the world of nonprofits. On today's episode, I talk to Alex Mays about her family history and how she's grown up with nonprofits and ended up helping to launch her own nonprofit, Lesson Check-In. The conversation is also a unique perspective of the nonprofit space from a nonprofit leader who's also an angel investor in startups. We talk about what it's like starting a nonprofit after the pandemic started and the biggest changes that are here to stay. And we explore the question of how everyone can take action to make a difference in their communities. Alex Mays, my guest today, is an angel investor and nonprofit leader from Atlanta, Georgia. Watching her father closely as he built one of the largest nonprofits in Atlanta and fundraising over a million dollars annually motivated her to team with a small group of peers to lead Lesson Check-In. Noting the impact made by the deployment of capital inspired her to begin angel investing as a means for empowering diverse teams and businesses that are ethically contributing to the advancement and enhancement of humanity. Alex will graduate this year with her international Juris Doctor from Australia and plans to use her passion for driving positive change paired with her financial and legal skills to continue making an impact across the world. Here's my conversation with Alex. Hey, Alex, welcome to the Nonprofit Lab. How are you? Hello, hello. Great to be here. I'm doing very well. Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. It's great to have you hailing virtually onto the show from Australia. <laughs> what's what's going on there? How, how are you doing in Australia? Yeah, you know, the pandemic has affected everyone in totally different ways. And um, I ended up stuck back home in the United States for a year and a half. And Australia finally agreed to open up its borders um, a month ago now. So I packed up and immediately came back, um, finishing up my international JD out here in Australia. And um, I've got one more year and we'll see what happens next. That's incredible. Always doing amazing things. We're <laughs> super lucky to have you not just as a guest on the nonprofit lab, but you've been a mentor to me and the team uh, as a nonprofit leader yourself. And very recently, you've become an investor in the Match Nice Dream. So appreciate you contributing to our goals and our vision uh, by sharing your perspective and your thoughts on the nonprofit sector and, you know, your, your, you know, I think you have a really special perspective as someone who is a nonprofit leader, but also an angel investor in the space and, you know, working in the social impact sector internationally and so many other things. There's just so many great qualities about you that got me really excited to have you as a guest on the show. I, I well, usually also ask, what, oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's also what excited me so much about you and the Match Nice team. You know, it's like the perfect intersection between my nonprofit passions as well as my angel investor uh, passions. So, you know, on top of how phenomenal of a team you all are, which I've communicated so many times. Um, yeah, you guys are, are everything that I, I could possibly want, um, bringing all my passions together. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> well, you know, like totally. the whole spirit of this podcast is bringing listeners along our journey of discovery as we're working to launch Match Nice and, you know, this build this really amazing impact-centric fundraising platform 
for nonprofits. And so this, this conversation is kind of a glimpse into some of the discovery that we do. And, and, you know, human centered design has been at the core of how we've informed our approach and our solution. And it's always going to be at the core of how we respond and, and, and really work to best serve the nonprofit sector. And I usually ask guests that come to the show, like, why did you get into the nonprofit space? But based on the introduction, I think the answer is kind of clear that your, <laughs> your dad had a really big influence on kind of your outlook and world. So tell me a little bit about uh, your family history with, with nonprofits. Yeah, totally. And um, <clears throat> to expand a bit on your first question, uh, you know, on top of my dad, I saw um, another nonprofit built and maintained and, you know, successfully making impact right in front of me. So I had my father building his nonprofit from, you know, the time I was a, a child. And then once I went to undergrad at Michigan State, I worked as the uh, assistant to the women's basketball coach. And, you know, Lansing, Michigan is a very small town. Every And obviously sports are a big deal there. So she realized that she had this platform. So many young girls were able to kind of look up to the uh, women's basketball team and she wanted to give them a way to get closer to uh, the team. So she um, established a nonprofit as well called Empower Her. And I could get into that a little bit later, but um, as her assistant, I obviously helped her a lot um, with building and maintaining that um, nonprofit as well. So between her and my father, I was able to really get a, a strong grip on, you know, how nonprofits are built and, like I said, maintained. And it felt like something I could hold on to and grasp and wrap my mind around and uh, essentially do myself. Wow. I didn't, I don't know that I realized that you also had, so you've kind of been at the forefront of seeing two different nonprofits get built from the ground up and like the inspiration and the source of those missions and then, you know, the execution behind it. I definitely want to hear more about the second nonprofit you mentioned with, with the women's basketball in Lansing, but, uh, like, oh. uh, tell <laughs> yeah. me, tell me about Sorry. No, it's okay. This I just is... realized I didn't answer your question about family history. <laughs> it's about all that. good. This is like the fun conversa conversational nature of, of these podcasts. Um, yeah. But yeah, tell me about like your dad starting there with like what totally. was he working on? Uh, like what was it like growing up as a child and, and seeing someone venture into the nonprofit space and uh, yeah, just walk me through the journey of what that was like for you and what your dad did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been so blessed with three amazing parents who all have exceptional talents and have all, you know, used their passions to do pretty amazing things and not biased at all, of course. But um, my dad is a businessman, uh, always been a businessman. Uh, my grandma tells me stories of him even when he was a kid. He used to wake up or wake her up at 4 a.m. to go deliver newspapers. He's always He always wanted to do something productive. And I think that that's uh, been pretty consistent throughout his whole life. So he calls himself the deal guy. He um, worked for all the telecommunications companies, AT&T, Ericsson, Singular Wireless. And it's kind of been there as technology and cell phone technology has really evolved. Um, so he experienced so much success in his business ventures that he realized, you know, I want to give back in a way that um, is not only selfless, but also helps me to exercise a lot of the skills that I've built up in my business ventures. So, um, you know, he running a business, he realized how to build and maintain strategic partnerships. He realized how to, you know, meet end goals, how to um, hire people, different things like that. And then he also had the capital to, you know, build something from the ground up and invest in it himself, um, donate to it himself. So um, he always tells me this story that one day he was just sitting and reflecting and trying to figure out, you know, what problem can I solve? How can I help? You know, I've been so blessed and so um, just successful in my business that, you know, what can I do? How can I help? And he was sitting on an airplane and, you know, he was just thinking really hard, you know, what can I do? There's so many problems to solve. And a documentary on a Delta flight came on that was um, basically highlighting how severe the problem is with uh, foster children in the United States how once they turn 18, they're no longer under government care and they're basically on their own on the streets. And, you know, hopefully they've 
maintained or been able to save enough money to to live on their own. But um, most of the time, that just isn't the case uh, with all the hardship that they've dealt with. So I guess, you know, that documentary came on at the right place at the right time. And that was the problem he chose to solve. So he went off and, um, and built his nonprofit called the Ensoro Foundation. And um, he says Ensoro means uh, belief in a higher being um, in Swahili. And um, that also is a very, very consistent theme in his life. It's, he's very, very, um, very much a believer in, you know, we are all on our path. We are all, you know, should accept things that come our way. We should give back when we can. Um, and uh, basically, you know, believer in God. So um, he believes that God gave him that sign to start in sorrow and uh, it has just grown exceptionally um, over the years. So excited to talk more about in sorrow as well. Wow. I, I think that's, I mean, that's so inspirational for so many reasons, but, you know, I, th I think, and I may have said this before on another episode, but one of the most fulfilling parts of the Match Nice journey has been getting to meet people like yourself and your dad who have, you know, been in a privileged enough position to step outside of just focusing on survival and channeling all of their skills and energy to make a make an, a difference in the world. And I think that's it's universal like it doesn't matter what religion you are like or what background you come from like there's this common thread of giving back and and helping that exists within almost every belief on this planet and to be able to create those connections and meet so many people like that is really one of the coolest parts of of the startup journey and i love that it's had this influence on you so like what, how were you seeing the world differently as a kid growing up with, with that all happening um, versus maybe like someone else who, who doesn't have a dad that built a million dollar plus nonprofit uh, out of a passion <laughs> of their own? I guess, you know, looking back at, you know, watching my dad uh, do this, it, it seems so effortless for him. And not effortless in saying that the work wasn't difficult, but effortless in his drive to do it. It just seemed like it wasn't really an option for him to not give back. He's always been an avid donator to um, his church and to other organizations that, you know, aren't his own. And, you know, I think, and this is something that I really held on to is, you know, the power of what capital can do truly. And, um, you know, it goes into uh, it affects nonprofits the same way it affects startups. Um, so yeah, I guess like the biggest thing that I took away was that you you can have such a beautiful life, such a successful life. It doesn't mean that that's the same for everyone. And if you have the time, the drive, the ability, uh, the vision to help solve that problem, then why not just do it? And that's why anytime uh, an opportunity came my way to help out with a nonprofit, to volunteer, um, whatever the case may be, it was never, never something that I uh, second guessed or thought twice about. Um, even before becoming a, a leader of a nonprofit, I tried to volunteer as much as I could um, on the weekend after school, uh, whatever, it, whatever, whatever the case may be, I, I was always doing something. And that was definitely just from seeing him and his busy schedule and how he still managed to carve out time to, to help others. That's so powerful and something that I've talked about before and uh, my team certainly has heard me say this before, but like the power of aligning and first off, defining your purpose and then aligning that with what you're doing in the world um, does lead to this kind of effortless quality. And, and you said it so well, like effortless meaning like it just comes naturally to you and it's not that it's not hard work. I kind of like to think of it as it just adds, it just makes this, this um, like current and this wind in your, in your sails, even through the like heaviest storms, like you've always got that mission behind you to push mm -hmm. you forward. And, you know, I think that that, like what you just said is like an insight of, oh, like this is also common for pretty much everyone in the nonprofit sector. And, and, you know, I think I really relate to, to your story and your dad's story as someone who has worked in the private sector 
you know, four different for-profit companies and now, you know, building something to help the nonprofit sectors and leaders out there. That's a really great takeaway from your dad. But then you mentioned also the second nonprofit that you got to see kind of get shaped in front of your eyes. Tell me a little bit about that one and some of the things that you learned from that experience. Yeah. Um, so coach Susie Merchant is absolutely amazing. She's been the women's basketball coach at Michigan state for ages. Um, that's a vague answer, but I know she's been there for quite a while and, um, yeah, she realized in Lansing specifically, uh, it's a very tight community and everyone is a Michigan state fan, as I mentioned. So she wanted to give these uh, young girls, um, residents of Lansing, Michigan, an opportunity to come, you know, spend time at the Breslin Center, which is where Michigan State hosts all of its um, Big Ten games and whatnot, um, and spend time, intimate time with the team. And, you know, obviously all these girls, they, they look up to the teammates and they're already impressed. So they're, she wanted to use that platform, you know, that role model um, atmosphere that they had created to basically influence girls to, to be better, to do better, to understand that, you know, growing up is difficult and all the problems that you're going through are things that we've all as older young adults have gone through as well. So she would host keynote presentations and different lectures and mindfulness um, workshops and things like that, just inviting the community to come to Michigan State um, and just get a lot out of uh, interacting with the older girls, you know, that they that they already looked up to. Um, so we did a lot of a lot of different things. Um, we also partnered with a lot of the, and this was a big one, I guess, that I, I took away was the partnership aspect of nonprofits um, because Michigan State, obviously, <laughs> as I mentioned, is um, so influential in the city of Lansing. Everyone was willing to help us. So we worked with um, like Tropical Smoothie and they would, you know, bring smoothies over and, you know, the girls would come in and they would get a smoothie or we worked with, um, this one company that made yoga mats and they supplied yoga mats for the entire event and we were able to um, do a yoga session. Um, so it was basically a, a retreat that happened a couple of times a year and girls could come. They, it would be a weekend long thing. You could sleep over, which is always fun when you're younger. And she just provided um, a really, a really fun space for, uh, it was fun for everyone involved. You know, the girls were able to learn something um, from us as the as the volunteer team and you know the, the ones uh, giving the lectures and whatnot but then also as volunteers we were able to see how how much we can influence these young girls decisions and just making them feel comfortable growing up uh, middle school high school age is, is such a weird time for men and women and um, she just wanted to to add some ease to that by showing them that they're not alone you've got this community here to help you. <laughs> That's so, I love the, I love how you, you laid that story out in a way that showed the one step at a time kind of organic nature to how this nonprofit came to be, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't one person saying, not just like, how can I change the entire world? It's looking right. at their position that they're in and saying, how can I make a difference in what's within what's in my control and in mm -hmm. with the tools and resources in the community that I'm in. And then the partnerships kind of facil getting facilitated and things naturally organically building from one person's kind of vision. And yeah. I, I think that's like something that I'm, I'm coming to as well is, you know, it all starts with you, like each of us as individuals looking within and then mm -hmm. the next step being, okay, well, what can I do around me? And also recognizing that, you know, helping one person has a local and a global impact when you think of the ripple effects that, you know, generationally this nonprofit is having on young boys and girls. And, and yes, middle school is a very weird, weird and uncomfortable <laughs> time, I think, for, for everyone. So yeah, that's, unfortunately. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions about nonprofits are being able to help 
um, in any way is people feel like, you know, there's so many problems in the world, you know, what can I as an individual possibly do to help? And that there's so much that you can do. You can um, start small and like we said, build it step by step. And it doesn't have to necessarily be building an entire organization, but, you know, giving one day a month of your time to, you know, helping with any problem that you um, feel passionate about uh, just, just helping with in any way. So yeah, there, there's a lot to be said about uh, taking things step by step. Agreed. And speaking of taking things step by step, the third nonprofit for our show today, Lesson Check-In, this is one that yes. you're, you're involved with. Tell us a little bit about what the mission is and your involvement and what's going on with it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've got two hands on the Lesson Check-In um, mission and I feel like I might be a little scattered because I have so much to say. So my apologies in advance, but oh, um, <laughs> Lesson Check-In was started um, through the pandemic actually um, with the distance learning and fact that students weren't able to go into the classroom, um, we saw on the news and just in general reports and um, conversations with family that the grade point averages of students was just severely uh, dropping due to this distance learning. And that's because students didn't have, uh, maybe they weren't as focused online or maybe they didn't have that after, um, after school, um, just extra help or the time to have one-on-one -on -one time with their teacher. Whatever the case may be, we just saw that um, grade point averages were dropping, um, like I said, pretty severely. And then on top of that, a lot of parents were communicating that they're still working full time. They don't have the time to sit and watch their student, make sure that they're engaged in class. And then on top of that, help them with their homework because they were used to having so much time to themselves. Um, so we just um, saw that there was quite a bit of, of just issues uh, happening as a result of people um, in, this, in the virtual classrooms. So we decided to create this model where it would basically be a self-turning wheel because myself and my uh, co-founders and the leadership team, we're all doing this part-time. We're all either students or working full-time, whatever the case may be. So we wanted to build kind of a self-turning wheel or a self-sufficient model. So basically we pair middle and high school students um, with an undergraduate or graduate um, mentor. And these people are, you know, passionate about helping and, you know, want to volunteer, but also their background checked to make sure that, you know, there's no issues or any, um, no, even though it is a nonprofit and the parents do consent, uh, we still want to take as many precautions as possible. So basically, um, we started just recruiting as many volunteers as possible so that we could have them kind of on the back burner. And once we built this out, we would be ready to just start pairing students immediately. Um, we do aim for students in low income areas just because our service is free. And, you know, tutoring services can be, uh, you know, $70, $100 per hour, depending on who the tutor is. So we do um, try to have students who couldn't necessarily afford it themselves. But at the same time, we never say no to a student who want, who signs up with our program. So um, that's kind of how we how we got started. And I guess it's a self-turning wheel because the students and the parents are on board. The parents know that their student is getting this tutoring service. And then it's up to the student and the, their coach to kind of come up with a schedule for how often they're going to meet. So we don't really try to get involved with that um, process too much because, you know, no one wants to spend any more time on Zoom than they already do between class and everything else. So we stay back, we do send out um, surveys and that's how we know that this has been working out really well is we've seen firsthand that we've um, helped all of, most of our students with um, increasing their grade point averages, feeling more comfortable in school. Um, we've also seen you know, some students feeling unmotivated about pursuing higher education after high school and we've gotten so much feedback from students seeing their coach who's a university student and they're like oh well they seem cool or they're they enjoy their life or they enjoy you know they're working towards something and you know that's something else that's come out of it that we weren't ex expecting is that you know we're also or our coaches are also inspiring their students to just see what else is out there or see the possibilities and again wrap your mind around what could come of your future. And that's been um, one of the most beautiful things is just the feedback that we've gotten. 
And um, I know students are back in person school and uh, taking classes in person again, but um, we still have students who, um, or all of our students came back for another year of tutoring. They saw how much they were benefiting from it. Um, but in COVID as well, a lot of students were spending so much time at home that they were really not socializing with their peers as much as they used to. And um, another bit of feedback that we got was, it's just so nice to have someone to talk to, uh, someone to listen to me who's not, you know, my baby brother or my parents. Um, so there's been a lot of, uh, quite a few unexpected, uh, beautiful things that have come out of uh, building lesson check-in. And we do have long-term goals. We are hoping to build kind of a, a community or a hub for our students to uh, just, um, I guess, a community where they know that they have support, whatever that may be. So we, let's say a student is has a job interview, we can, you know, pair them with someone um, to give them interview tips and prepare them, or if they need to get a haircut before their job interview, you know, we're hoping to build in our major cities, which are DC, New York City, Chicago, kind of um, build establishing relationships with locals to kind of be there as, um, I guess, just people who we can connect them with and help them get prepared and feel more support before they get into anything um, that they might be feeling nervous about, whatever the case may be. So the, the community and the hub is kind of our, our long-term goal, but for right now, we're just doing the, um, the tutoring. We host virtual events like game night or, um, since me and our CEO are both in law or she graduated law school, I'm in law school, we would host, um, you know, get to know, get to know law students and students were able to ask questions about what law school is like. So we host virtual events as well and we have prizes and things like that, try to keep it light and fun and just um, trying to go ahead and start building that community before we take the next step. Wow. Well, you answered <laughs> a lot of the follow-up questions I had <laughs> about okay. checking. That was very comprehensive. Oh, good. Like, well, how are you measuring success? And, you know, uh, oh, yeah. and, and, and you, you said all of that. So there's no need for me to, to dive in. But I'm, I'm coming back to kind of the thread of what we we're talking about of starting small and getting to the point now where you're in like three major cities, I think I heard. Um, how, how did you pilot this idea? And then how did you build a solution around it? And I think, I think this kind of leads us into this theme of a discussion where there is a misconception around nonprofits as being kind of just charity operations when really nonprofits are businesses that are providing real services to people and there's revenue and there's expenses. So tell me, tell me about how you all uh, went from idea to pilot to kind of scaling to where you are from that like business sense. I would say we started with knowing what our team strengths were, what was everyone willing and able to bring to the table and how can we utilize everyone's time and skills to to build this thing. So we had Tyler on the team, who's our chief technology officer. And, you know, he was able to build the website, build our donation platform and kind of get all of the, the tech uh, end of things together. And then we had everyone else kind of, you know, recruiting students. We started off with just, you know, everyone's cousins and family members just to see, you know, how is this going to work? And, and having family members was kind of a good way to to do a test run to see, you know, is this safe? Is this working out well? Are our volunteers actually showing up to these calls since we're not necessarily checking in? <laughs> no pun intended there. But um, so just uh, taking it step by step, building out a game plan, understanding what it is that we're um, what it is that we're building towards, setting goals for ourselves, checking in with the team often to make sure everyone is feeling comfortable in their roles. Um, and, you know, we, we needed two things. We needed volunteers and we needed students. Um, everything else would, would follow. So, yeah, we just went heavy on the recruiting on all ends, putting out as many advertisements as possible. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're a very uh, interesting team as far as, you know, the types of people that we are. We're all very much go-getters. Um, two of um, my teammates are... Uh, they were the most influential students at NYU at two different years, which is except like it's so crazy to me. So, you know, we all we all had um, a lot of drive, I would say, to just 
take it to the next level um, every step of the way. You know, whenever we met a goal, we were, of course, we were celebrating, you know, reaching a milestone, but also already thinking about, if not already initiating the steps to reach the next goal. So, um, yeah, just taking it, taking it step by step, day by day. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I, I think Dr. Laura in one of the first episodes of this podcast said that the common ingredient of everyone in the nonprofit sector and why she's drawn to this space is because of the passion that people bring to it. And it's not just un, like <laughs> unsupported passion. <laughs> people are taking real steps to make a difference. And I love how you, how you said, you know, it started with looking at the team and the skills that they had and how we can all contribute to the table. And that ties back exactly to the same questions your dad was asking when he was wondering, how can I make a difference in the world? So, I, you know, I, th I hope that's it's helpful for our listeners to hear that because whether you're starting a business or a nonprofit, it is incredibly overwhelming to think about getting to the peak of that mountain and your goal and where you're going, but it's, it's that first step and taking what's in front of you that often leads to this much, much greater impact that I love to hear lesson checking is having now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we talked about, uh, you said some of the great, like unexpected, beautiful things that came out that you weren't planning with lesson chicken. You know, this is an interesting use case or like case study because Lesson Check-In was a nonprofit built as a response to the pandemic. Whereas most of the guests I've had on the show, they had a nonprofit, the pandemic happened, and then it was an adjustment. So as a nonprofit that started in a pandemic, post-pandemic, in, in the environment that we're, st we're still kind of in, what what were some of the differences, like the ways that you were thinking about the organization and the services, obviously everything being virtual, but tell me, tell me about like some of the challenges that you had to face starting a nonprofit in this environment. Yeah. Um, I'd actually like to start with a story um, about my dad's nonprofit and kind of um, uh, an issue that I watched him tackle um, because he obviously started many years ago, pre-pandemic, and then the pandemic was actually um, a really hard hit to, um, not a hard hit, I, I don't want to say that, but it did um, change a lot of things for them because a lot of the fundraising that they do happens in person. They host um, annual events in Atlanta, and it um, brings a lot of a lot of Atlanta's um, high net worth individuals out to enjoy a lovely evening, whatever the case may be. But it's also their time to see the impact that their dollar can make um, in person with their own eyes. We always have our students who receive the um, Insoro scholarships at the event and they just basically communicate how thankful they are and how much Insoro has uh, changed their lives in endless ways. And they always are um, eager to volunteer and eager to just continue um, keeping the Insoro cycle going because it helped them so much. So seeing people's passion or seeing our recipients' passion for um, or gratefulness for their scholarship and you know having donors see that in person, that was um, a, big, a big part of how we've been able to raise so much money over the years. So of course, when COVID happened, we didn't have that event anymore. So we had to get crafty. Um, so I was in Australia. This was, uh, we usually host the um, event, the biggest event in February. So this was um, February, 2020, right when COVID was happening, we had to cancel the event, unfortunately. And um, my parents mailed me all the way to Australia this um, envelope, and it had a digital screen, and it was the same. It was the testimonials from the students, but on this video screen. And they sent that to all of the donors. And you know, my dad was saying we put so much money into um, hosting the ball that, you know, sending out these electronic envelopes was, you know, a fraction of what we would have paid for the, for the event, but we're still able to communicate that same message in a way that's really uh, attention grabbing. I've never gotten an electronic package before. And um, it was just, it was really, really cool to see that. So, you know, just seeing how they were able to get crafty um, virtual uh, events as well, just Zoom calls to let uh, donors know about 
the success and you know how Ensoro is continuing to evolve. So that is how I saw the um, pandemic uh, as a challenge for them that they did manage to overcome. Um, but then as far as lesson check-in goes, it was really just um, rethinking our model because we were worried about the fact that we were established as a way to solve a pandemic specific issue. How will we evolve into you know, an organization that is helping students that aren't necessarily uh, sitting behind the screen? So just figuring out you know, what it is that we are working towards and you know, getting clear on you know, what it is that we wanna do was uh, the biggest thing. And it, it did require some tailoring to our model and just understanding that things aren't always gonna you know, be the way that they seem and being flexible with that and listening to our students and understanding what it is that they are that they want, what they need, and how we can best serve them, and and like I said, just being just being flexible to that. So once students were back in person, we were still we were still there to help them as much as they needed, um, and also uh, pivoting towards meeting people in person. There was an event in Chicago, a laptop giveaway where everyone who got a laptop would also um, get a lesson check-in subscription with that. These were all um, students who didn't have their own laptop and it was a Christmas giveaway. Over 150 students got them. Um, unfortunately, our entire team was affected by COVID in some way. So none of us were able to actually be there, but that was um, you know, an in-person event and you know, lesson check-in flyers were handed out just to let people know, here we are, we're here to help you. So yeah, just being flexible, I would say, is the is what I'm really trying to say about how we how we navigated this post post ish pandemic uh, environment. Thanks for drawing the example from uh, like the pre to post pandemic to post post pandemic planning. Like that's such great, such a great view and such a creative like action to take with the electronic like. Thank you. Like that, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's going to inspire some of our nonprofits leaders that may be listening on this call. You know, and, and it's it's interesting when I asked you the question about challenge, fundraising came up in kind of both of those both both of those responses, and mm -hmm. that's exactly why we're as as Match and I starting, uh, you know, our company and the initial problem we're solving is around making online fundraising more transparent and engaging because you don't have that same you know level of engagement as you maybe you did with with all these events and you know what in term from what you see what are some of the changes from the pandemic that are here to stay um you know let's say we go back to everything was the way it was after you know however much longer we're in this situation like what are the changes from the pandemic that you see nonprofits staying adapted to or, or having to adopt for for good yeah um i guess as a, a leadership team it's increased our flexibility as far as being used to having you know, important in-depth uh, planning conversations virtually versus in-person, um, you know, being forced to get into that is uh, something that made it uh, something that we were able to not only uh, do, but do well. So, um, you know, we can squeeze in a leadership meeting, we can have virtual retreats, uh, you know, uh, even though most of our team is in New York, you know, I'm obviously not, and we have other team members as well who aren't um, in New York. So yeah, just being able to, and this goes, you know, for the work environment as well, just being able to really be flexible. Uh, we can be anywhere in the world. We could, you know, have paid time off work and uh, be on vacation, but we could still squeeze in um, a lesson check-in meeting. And um, it's something that we're, we've gotten used to. And like I said, we've gotten good at it. So I, I definitely think that that's probably the biggest um, I think that might be my only thing that I can think of that um, that's here to stay, definitely. I love it. I think the flexibility also just means more scale to serve, which is a benefit for yes. nonprofits and businesses 100%. alike. 100%. So I've, I've got a couple more questions before we're wrapping up here. You know, I mentioned in the intro that you're also an angel investor and you know, I, I wanted to get your perspective as an angel investor, a nonprofit leader, uh, a donor, and a, and a fundraiser yourself. 
what what do you think is the most important thing for nonprofit fundraisers to know right now in this environment? If your question is how should nonprofit leaders um, work to build and lead a successful nonprofit, is is that what you would? Okay, Let's um, go I would with say. That. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I would say the most important thing is to just really, really know your goals, what it is that you're working towards. Um, of course, those goals can evolve and change, but you know, when you're hiring someone to join, or not necessarily hiring, but bringing people on your team, bringing people on as volunteers, and especially bringing or um, influencing donors, knowing what you're doing, knowing what you're working towards, and feeling passionate about it will really just help you to to succeed and to do well and to to get those donations people will feel your passion and when you are passionate you'll you know communicate what it is that you're working towards very very clearly and that's um that's the same again it's the same with with investing as well you know people want to know exactly what it is they're investing in and of course with nonprofits, um there may not necessarily be that um, aspect of getting return but, you know, you do want to know where your dollar is going and that you're making an impact on someone's life. So um, that's another reason why Match Nights just makes so much sense. And that's why I'm so excited about uh, being a part of it and watching you guys grow is that you're giving people those answers that they're looking for. A lot of time, you know, you don't have the time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with every donor. But, you know, showing exactly what it, it, what it is that you've done how far you've come, where you're going next, and just being very, very clear about that, I think is the best way to, to bring people into your circle. And like I said, as volunteers, as donors, team members, whatever the case may be, you've got to have a strong grip on what it is that you're doing. Yeah, thanks for adjusting my question and then responding <laughs> to it in a very elegant way, Alex. I think, you know, th and, and thanks for kind of weaving our approach as, as a company to this challenge. I think, you know, creating that transparency around giving in a fully online environment is a big opportunity that we're seeing. And other thing that we've talked about on the show is the current state of giving seems to be largely donor centric, where donors are writing really big checks to dictate a nonprofit's programming and there's this kind of situation where many nonprofits are afraid to change the way they're operating because they don't want to push away a big check writer. Or, you know, on the flip side, grants are a huge resource or, or a huge channel of revenue for nonprofits. And oftentimes those grants come with a list of requirements and we gotta we gotta apply to you know to to meet those things in order to to receive those funds and I think part of the larger vision of 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 Match Nice is also moving from impact uh, donor centric a donor centric model to a more impact centric model that brings nonprofits and donors together to say you know enabling nonprofits to say hey this is what we need to succeed and for nonprofits to say hey oh. This is this is where my money is going and how I can help with that mission. But like we've been talking about, it's not all about just giving money. It's also giving your time. It's about how you are as a person in the world. Like smile at that person walking by you, offer to open that door. I think it's really important for people to recognize that you don't have to have like <laughs> this huge vision or big idea to make a positive impact on the world. And um, but it's certainly a, a really beautiful thing when people take that step like you have and like your dad has. And it's uh, really great to share in that journey with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to, to talk about it. It's something that's a very big part of my life and something that will continue to be in, in many different ways. So, yeah, thank you for, for giving me this platform. Awesome. Of course. Well, one more question for you. It's it's kind of it's it is open ended. Uh, answer how you wish. What do you want your legacy to be? That is such a good question, and you know it's uh, something that I haven't thought about very much. And um, there's so many so many things that I don't that come to mind. I guess that are so cliche. So. I was going to say something that I feel like we kind of touched on already, but 
I guess I want my legacy to be um, me being an inspiration to others to show them that, you know, no matter what it is, where you come from, what your background is, you can, you can impact someone's life. Um, it actually makes me think of uh, this poem, uh, my dad's annual ball for his uh, uh, foundation is called the Starfish Ball. And it, um, it, it's a spinoff of the Starfish poem um, where it's basically this man, he's walking along the beach and he sees a, another young man just picking up starfish and throwing them into the ocean that had washed up from the tide. And um, you may have heard this poem before. I'm sure some of the listeners have, but the older man goes up to the younger man and he says, there's you know, thousands of starfish here. Why even bother? Why waste your time? And the man picks up another starfish and throws it into the ocean. He said, well, I made a difference for that one. And every single thing that you do, no matter how small, it does make a difference. So, you know, I just would love if my legacy would be to highlight that no matter, no matter what you can make an impact. So, you know, don't, don't feel like individually you can't do it because you're not alone. There's so many people who want to help people who have already built organizations that you can get involved with and yeah, you, you can do it. You can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. That was so good. And I, I love that you brought that poem in. Uh, <laughs> this one quick story that was really funny that like stuck with me. I was on a, I was on a very rocky beach with uh, some friends and, and one of my friends had um, his three-year-old son was there and they jokingly said to the, to the son, it's like, okay, we got to start picking up all these rocks on the beach and like carry them over there. And he didn't even bat an eye. He just started picking them up, right? Like he didn't get overwhelmed <laughs> by the fact that there's millions of rocks on this beach and that it would take like many lifetimes to get close to doing that. He was just focused on the rocks in front of him. And, uh, you know, like another great story is uh, of this, it's from a book, I forget the name, but it's this boy who's lost in a forest and it's like really foggy. He can't see anything and he's with his horse and he's like, like, where do we go? And the horse says, you know, can you see the step that you're taking in front of you? And the boy says, yes. And the horse is like, well, just take that step. And I think like between these, these stories, the common message is exactly right. Like take that yes. step. Thank Definitely. you for being an inspiration. Thank you for joining the show. Yeah. It's and one more thing actually, hearing, hearing your rock story actually made me think of the power of influence. Um, another thing that we've touched on is, you know, how my father and coach Susie Merchant were able to you know, really helped me wrap my mind around the fact that this is possible. So, you know, hearing that, or that three-year-old boy seeing his parents being, you know, willing to pick up these rocks, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm sure that that, you know, influenced the boy to be like, oh yeah, I guess we're doing this, you know? So yeah, that, that influence, uh, not necessarily your parents, but anyone that you look up to, it, or their lack of fear, I should say, definitely could, um, uh, make a difference for for so many children so it's so important for for older people to keep in mind is how influential they really are but yes thank you thank you so so much this is so lovely and I really hope that you know we can continue to inspire people to start just take a step but I think that that's been our motto here just take the step so, <laughs> <thank> <laughs> indeed Alex Mays, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We're grateful to have you, and uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so, so much. All right. Take care. You too. Hi, Madeline and Ibrahim. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Lab. Good to see you both again. Hello. Good to see you too. Hey, Priya. Hey. <laughs> well, uh, what did you guys think of the episode, the conversation I had with Alex? It was really inspiring to hear her story about how she built her nonprofit. And I didn't know about the basketball nonprofit. Um, that, that was, you know, we had, we had heard about her, um, her father's nonprofit and lesson check-in. So it was cool to hear there was another story um, of, of how she watched someone build build something from nothing and uh, just another one you know that was that was very cool to hear that another one another one 
<laughs> Abraham, uh, same to Madeline. Uh, the nonprofit like growth that she went through was definitely interesting to hear about. Um, I mostly took away a lot of like what she learned from her nonprofit experience, um, like the strategies, the, the the need to be adapting and understanding changing needs. And then one of I think one of the quotes that just stood out for me was she essentially said, know your goals, they'll evolve and change, but know them. So you always know what you're aiming for. Sometimes the end goal can be achieved. And when that happens, you have to understand that there's always another one to go after. So uh, that that definitely stood out for me. And it was cool just seeing her overall nonprofit experience and like bringing it up to where it is now. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe on the last episode, Madeline, or, or, or the one with Ben Ryder, you were talking about how like the hero's journey of a nonprofit leader is like a different path for everyone. And it was really inspiring to hear like the influence that her father had on her, but then also like her getting this inside view into the start of a nonprofit from, you know, uh, her father, but then at, at like on the basketball courts um, in Michigan and Lansing as well, like, and, and to see kind of how both of those things evolved. I think the thing I took away from like the, the story of, of, of her dad was, like here was an individual who recognized that they had these incredible skills and strengths and they were in a moment asking themselves, how can I do more in the world with what I have? And then channeled and, and put all of that energy into making, making their nonprofit come to life. And like the episode with Tiffany, like we talked about how nonprofits are mission driven businesses. And for us, that's the same story, right? Like we, we, we all got around the table and said, Hey, I'm really good at this. You're really good at that. Like, how do we make this thing come, come to life? And I think Alex's feedback around like team and bringing the right skill sets around the table, uh, to make something happen, uh, was also like really just, obviously eye-opening yeah i saw another parallel to tiffany's episode as well which is um just hearing about lesson check-in and how her team was able to first of all you know use feedback to you know test things out with their small group of friends and family but then expand it out and build a scalable process that allows them to kind of uh let let it run on its own um, without them having to be super heavily involved, just reminded me of the kind of efficiency and scalability that that Tiffany was was speaking about. Um, and and yeah, once again, I mean, there's just been a common theme through all these episodes about um, that that feedback aspect of you know testing out what you're working on in real life with real people and making adjustments from there. Um, but also just about knowing what your north star is and knowing what your mission is and kind of you know, making adjustments to how you're actually delivering on that mission based on what your circumstances are, you know, if you're in COVID world or in person. Um, that was another thing that was really interesting to hear about just how they launched in COVID and, and what Alex's thoughts were around um, what aspects of, of COVID life <laughs> are kind of here to stay um, through the future. That was really interesting too. Yeah. You know, like, um, when I was at Deloitte Consulting, I led a client spotlight presentation about what human-centered design looked like in action before and like the pandemic and after the pandemic. And uh, it really made me like think back to that moment of like the key differences of operating in a very in-person world versus a virtual world. And I thought it was so interesting that you know, I hadn't heard this yet, like from any other nonprofit where they were born in the pandemic environment. And their question isn't like, you know, okay, how do we get back to normal? It's like, how do we stay alive when things go back to normal? Right? Like, I think we've seen um, nonprofits shift and adapt to the, a virtual environment and from a default of being in person. So that setback, that coming, the, the default isn't as like unknown, but in the case of lesson check-in, 
it it like that's their concern is like well what do we look like when things are back to normal and um you know i think like the the parallel with the human centered design uh example is like you know we used to do tons and tons of in-person field visits and interviews with individuals understanding their challenges their needs using that to inform technology design but then with the with the pandemic we pivoted to, to virtual and now the new normal is a hybrid type approach but in the case of lesson check-in you know they're thinking about well how do we keep this going when everyone is back in school yeah i mean we've talked about this a lot with our own team about virtual versus in person you know the, the three of us have only ever hung out one time <laughs> or one weekend right um and but we've you know we've been working together building this for you know however many years now um and yeah i mean that i think hybrid is the way that things are going to continue. I mean, think about how many people expanded their workforces, moved people out, you know, people are moving to different cities and still being able to work at the same company. So I think I totally agree with what Alex was saying about virtual work being here to stay. Um, and, you know, but I think everybody, especially after COVID now, especially recognizes and appreciates uh, those times that you do get to be in person, because there really is nothing like, uh, connecting with people face to face. Yeah, Ibrahim, I want to pull you in a little bit more here. The point that Alex made, like when we were talking about taking action, right? Like going from like starting with you to growing, like the example with the basketball foundation, like it started with one coach saying like, hey, I could do more. And then that fostering and growing into partnerships with like the local smoothie place and you know before you know it you've got this annual forum with kids coming in and development happening and now it's like a huge impact on the community i know your your parents and like your dad especially working in like uh the medical space like well how did how did how did you see that like parallel of starting with me and going local like through your own upbringing with with your dad and, and maybe just give i know I'm not sure if everyone's listened to the first episode uh, of of the podcast, but tell us about like your your thoughts on that sequence of starting with Utah. Sure. So I guess the involvement in in all of these like uh, medical mission trips and and supporting like other areas of the world. Starting when me and my brother were kids, um, my dad's always been involved and passionate about that space. But it started off with a just a group of doctors that wanted to help. That was it. Uh, there wasn't an organization, there wasn't um, like a legal entity. It was a handful of doctors just wanted to help. They planned a trip and they went over. Um, and then one of the doctors took initiative and said, we have to establish a nonprofit. We have to grow this. We have to establish a presence. So over the following few years, it began to grow from not just our local area and just like friends of friends. It became a national organization uh, and it's called SAMS, uh, Syrian American Medical Society. So it started off with just, you know, a handful of doctors to uh, most major cities having their own branch of this nonprofit now um, and each operating with each other, but also as a separate entity to, you know, promote their causes and the areas that they're in, uh, but also to support multiple mission trips abroad. So the fact that we have multiple branches means that we have multiple, you know, subgroups that are all planning their own trips, planning their own moves uh, to supporting various areas of the world, whether it be refugee camps, whether it be certain medical trips to other areas of the world, not in the Middle East, that just require our help. The The growth I saw was from right, proving the point out and also from innovation. And a lot of people view innovation as a survival mechanism for corporate America. Like you have to innovate or you fall behind. Um, and it's it's we've established the fact that a nonprofit is also a business. Like this isn't just a, a group. Uh, nonprofits also need to be put in a position to innovate and to think of the next thing they can be doing to not only stand out, but also to ensure that whatever their mission is continues to be supported by them and by their community that supports that nonprofit itself. Um, and that's where the, like the support for Sam's came in was their whole premise was like, we're passionate about this. And if you are too like support us, be involved with us. And then it began, it, it began to be like them hosting mission trips and they were trying to invite members of the community. It wasn't just the doctors anymore. It was, if you want to come help support, we'll find a way for you to support. Um, so I think just finding ways to get the community involved 
seem to be one of the best ways to grow that nonprofit. And that's, that's one thing I noticed over the past few years of it growing to where it is today. Um, I mean, I got to the point where the um, president of the organization went to the white house. Like that's, that's how quickly they grew over the past few years. So it's really interesting to see the approach they took and that I definitely see nonprofits taking advantage of, you know, paths like that to, to further engage the community, but also to grow at a rate like that. I love that. That's such a great example. And I'm, I'm glad you, you shared that example. And I, and I hope that example, as well as the examples from lesson check-in and, 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 and on the basketball court, what Alex shared kind of demystifies what it takes to start a nonprofit. Like, yeah, there's a ton of paperwork and like legal requirements and logistics and over, like there's a lot that goes into the operation, but it all starts at the same root of one person or a group of people coming together and saying, let's do something. And like, hold on, like the, the nonprofit element of it just comes into play like after the fact, like very rarely is it, it seems to me, at least from the conversations we've had, is it someone saying, hey, before we make any impact, like let's start a nonprofit, let's get this in order and then do something. No, these, these are people who are taking initiative and making a difference. And then the next logical step, and I love the way you kind of put, wrapped innovation to it, into it, next logical step of scaling is like you know building building a nonprofit around it and, and gaining more support. So, Mal, I'm curious if you've seen it's kind of like that same pattern play out in in your own experience. I think yeah, definitely, um, definitely have seen people just say let's let's do something and then it snowballs. I think I hear that story all the time um, of things just snowballing that way. And I think that a big theme of Alex's um, story and everything she was talking about was about just making that, taking that one step, you know, doing one action and influencing one person's life, um, you know, just thinking and and just thinking of it that way, that, that even something that you do that feels small to you actually can have a ripple effect and, and affect so many other things. Um, th that was one thing. And another is that, you know, just speaking back to the community aspect of all of this, another thing that Alex was talking about so much, and I want to try to figure out how we can incorporate this into Match Nice, because I think it's so important, um, is how to incorporate mentorship, um, other, you know, community support, other people rooting for you and, and cheering you on, and also role models into, into what we're building. I think, you know, that's, that's what her, what the Basketball Foundation or uh, nonprofit was doing, was, was kind of showing Hey, I'm, you know, I'm in school, I'm playing basketball and like you can too. And I think that that representation, having role models, having communities supporting you is like another way that things can totally snowball and keep growing. Um, so that's, that's something that I want to definitely figure out how we can incorporate and encourage um, here with what we're doing at Match Nice. I love that. I mean, so many things come to mind, but you know, the premise of our company was that everything is already out there. Like all of the solutions that you could imagine for the most part are already there. It's just about connecting the dots between them to make a bigger impact. And I think for us, it's, it's really taking that partnership approach too, right? Like how can we not just empower nonprofits and donors to be more impact centric with their fundraising, but how do we bring in uh, all these other partnerships with, I don't know, website builders or nonprofit consultancies or uh, just empowering the college student that wants to explore what it's like to help fundraise for a nonprofit? Um, I think there's a lot there and uh, definitely appreciate you bringing that up. I think the ecosystem. The ecosystem. <laughs> Can you put in like a sound effect of like a chime ecosystem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Um, what else? Anything else uh, kind of come up as as we look to wrap up this this debrief for you guys? I don't think so. I think it it's just great hearing another story about someone who followed there intuition and you know just just hearing everything that alex is so involved in is so cool and 
listening to all the different angles at which he's experienced um, not the nonprofit world is just awesome. I can't wait to hear more stories and more inspiration. Yeah. As you were saying that there's one other point that came up and I want to maybe conclude on this as we, as we go to the close of this episode was again, we're hearing like one of the biggest challenges that nonprofits have had is pivoting to a digital first fundraising environment where events and you know, these big fundraising galas are no longer available in, in a pandemic environment. And I just thought the idea that they had about, you know, how do you how do you capture and encapsulate like the power of someone you've supported stepping on stage and talking about the impact that this nonprofit and the services they're providing has had on their lives and like them mailing these digital kind of frames with like the messaging on it of like the impact quotes I thought was really ingenious. And Ibrahim, to your point around innovation, like I think pretty, pretty darn innovative in like creating that same sense of community um, and, and feeling uh, around really it. Cool. Yeah. Well guys, thanks for joining another episode of the nonprofit lab. Thanks As for having you know. me. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks course. for having us. Of well, um, Alex Mays is just such an inspiration. And I hope that this episode gives everyone that sense of knowing the first step to take to making a larger impact. And really, that's one of the big themes of this podcast is part of our intro. How can we all be a bigger part of social change? And I hope the stories from this episode illustrate that. Here's the quote from Mahatma Gandhi. The truncated version of this quote is actually be the change you want to see in the world. But what he actually says is we but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found in the world of our body. If we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As a man changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards him. This is the divine mystery supreme. A wonderful thing it is and the source of our happiness. We need not wait to see what others do. With that, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe and follow us on our socials. See you next time.